0: This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host Greg Crumpton.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I'm joined by Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today?
0: I am doing spectacularly well. Um, beautiful day here in South Carolina. Um, a busy day. It's been a busy morning already. Um, so that's a good thing. The wife is out of town. So I have multiple <laughs> dog duty. Uh, so it's been quite comical. Uh, but yeah, it's all good. Uh, was looking forward to today because we have a gentleman on with us who has been a longtime friend of mine, uh, a huge advocate for for the skilled trades and HVAC, and better yet, just an advocate for good people. He's a he's a good model for people, so I'm proud to uh, proud to have him on. So why don't you why don't you tell us about him, Gabby? Who is this Who is this unknown entity?
1: Awesome. Well, today we are welcoming David Parks, the president of PSR Mechanical. David, how are you doing today?
2: Um, I'm doing well uh, up here in uh, Seattle, Washington. So. Uh, kind of speaking into the weather here from what Greg kind of did there earlier. Uh, got a little bit of a dusting of snow last night. So uh, taking a few minutes from working from the home office until the roads kind of clear out. So want to get into work safe and uh, yeah, better uh, better today with uh, kind of the lessons learned through COVID and being able to work remotely a little bit has gone a long ways to, yeah, kind of help us out, uh, especially here during the winter time, so.
1: Awesome. Well,
0: if you look in the background, you'll see that beautiful uh, log cabin that he's sitting in that the man built. So he's like, wow, (laughs) beautiful place. Beautiful. So, all right. Well, David, um, I was thinking about it yesterday um, and how long we've known each other and and some of the iterations that your career has been through since I've known you. uh, Sure. really fun to to think about and then knowing that we get to hear a little bit about it but before we get too deep why don't you tell us a little bit about you what you do and and how in the heck you wound up on this podcast other than the hundred dollar bill i mailed you
2: <laughs> yeah no i appreciate that um yeah uh, currently the president of the psr mechanical but uh Yeah, fortunate in the fact that uh, my dad was uh, in the mechanical trades uh, growing up as a kid. Uh, I grew up on a small farm here in uh, Washington and um, yeah, um, as a kid back in the day was I would spend a lot of time working with my dad, whether it's at home or at work. And um, especially on spring break or summer vacation, uh, there's never any downtime. So whether I wanted to or not, he would throw me in the service truck and take me out on uh, whether it's doing uh, service calls or uh, some maintenance here and there. But uh, yeah, I got introduced to our mechanical trades for HVAC and R at a young age. And um, with anything, I went through high school, um, wanted to kind of prove my dad wrong that uh, I could do something other than refrigeration. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, it didn't work out too well. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I spent uh, a couple years, uh, uh, my last two years of high school, I did, uh, I went to uh, what we have in Washington, it's called uh, Snow Isle Skill Center, and it's um, basically kind of a trade school, whether you want to do carpentry, uh, decent mechanic, um, shoot that computer programming, uh, AutoCAD, and the class I elected to do uh, was uh, machinist class. And uh, in in Washington, everybody knows there's Boeing here. And so, you know, I knew with with, uh, manufacturing and whatnot that uh, the machinist industry is pretty strong here. And I kind of pursued that for a couple of years. And I got a small scholarship uh, from there uh, when I graduated. And I went to one year of a community college um, doing mechanical engineering. And for myself, You know, I like the engineering aspects uh, of what I was learning, but I kind of missed the hands-on experience of what my dad was doing, kind of actually being able to work with your hands. And also in the trades, it's uh, very uh, relational, um, customer-driven. And uh, um, I always uh, remember my dad showing up on a service call, talking to a store manager, uh, figuring out what's wrong. Um, troubleshooting, you know, making a repair, and then um, my dad engaging the customer as to, hey, what he found and what he fixed, and um, and or, hey, other things that he needed to do to make repair. But through that, everywhere my dad went to, if people knew he is well-known, right? And the, what I learned from him was he not only took uh, friendships or relationships pretty seriously within his trade, and um, when he went to go talk to the customers it wasn't just talking to a customer it was like talking to a friend and i didn't really inherently understand um at the time when i was learning from him but it made sense later later on in life in my career but uh i was fortunate in uh, 1993 at 19 years old to uh, start at psr um started off as a parts driver and um yeah worked my way up uh, over the years I Was a tradesman uh, for a period of time, for a year or so, and then uh, was able to leverage myself into a five-year apprenticeship. Um, did that for a period of time, and uh, became a journeyman. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, life, life journeys, right? Um, oddly, after working after uh, as a journeyman for a year or two, wait I for it.
0: it, wait for it, <laughs> and now <laughs>
2: I actually stepped away from the trade for a brief period of time and became a police officer for three years. So, I
0: told my, I told my wife that story. Uh yes, I don't know, the other day we were driving. She's like, he did what? And I'm like, yeah, it's like a a whole role reversal. So all right, continue. Sorry. I was excited.
2: Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's, um I was fortunate to be in a position with um uh, at a young age. I think I was around twenty seven or so, twenty-eight, uh, by the time, yeah. Uh 27, 28 already worked a couple of years of being a journeyman. And um always had interest to some level at an early age as well with law enforcement and um, was considering that if the uh, trades didn't work out for myself. So uh, so yeah, um, 9-11 kind of hit. So I think there's a little bit of patriotism that kind of kicked up in myself, I think was part of it. But um, also, um, I don't know, for myself, we all have our self-doubts, uh, self-fear, um, things that I think can hold somebody back in life to really kind of pursue their dreams or ambitions and I knew whether it was getting back into the mechanical trades or whatever I wanted to do in life. um, Yeah, I kind of needed to overcome that for myself. And I felt if I could uh, get through the police training and whatnot and be successful through that, that the lessons learned uh, from it, um, especially with navigating people and the challenges of our uh, kind of our our culture um, to some level that uh, Regardless of what I did um, in life that it would benefit me and it definitely yeah it it definitely has so you know, as I. Did that for a period of time and and uh, with my family life and how I wanted to raise my family I had a choice at that point in time and. uh, I sat back and evaluated what my life would look like uh, pursuing the policing career continuing or uh, return back to the trades and so yeah made the decision to return back to the trades. And uh, real quickly, when I came back, I was able to step in as a field supervisor position and um, and being in a supervisor role and you're engaged with uh, all aspects of uh, relationships and, and friendships uh, through the trades. So everything from uh, mentoring young uh, tradesmen and apprentices coming up I was pretty young as a field supervisor. Um, I was uh, 31 and um, I knew as a thirty young, 31 year old young man that uh, when you're putting um, in charge of journeymen, you've, you know, been doing it longer than you've been alive. <laughs> um, you know, I knew I would have to leverage, um, leverage my, yeah, some of my training, even from being a police officer of how to communicate with people. And, um, you know, some people just look at it as a peer age thing, and I had guys that were, you know, anywhere between 40 and 50 and getting ready to retire out and how could I still be a, a good supervisor to them yeah so through all that became a source manager uh, did that for almost ten years uh, operations manager for a few years and then eventually stepping into the presidential role so but through that it's uh, definitely been geared about um, around understanding people how to get the the most out of people um, maintain a level of respect and um and through that um again I you know I did a even a short video on our company and kind of myself within the company, but it was very much about, you know, I look at vendors, I look at customers, um, no different than I would as a close friend.
0: Wow, there's one thing you left out, Dave. What's that? Where you were a policeman.
2: No, yeah, it wasn't a bad bad place to be. Um, Yeah, uh, I was fortunate um, to go through, uh, yeah, doing that in Hawaii. So I was a Maui County police officer and had the privilege to uh, work in the Lahaina area, and uh, so yeah, if you're going to be a police officer, anybody has aspirations of it, Hawaii is a great place to do it. Great people, uh, love the the culture that's over there and the dynamics of of it. And uh, Hawaii really f- kind of fits my soul into the aspects of uh, if you know the word Ohana. Ohana means family, and the culture of Hawaii it's it's very about very much about people. It's very much about family. A lot of families there have, um, you know, two or three generations uh, living at one, you know, one residence and um, grandparents and great grandparents play an active role in raising raising the kids so. And that really kind of spoke to who I am and what I'm about a lot of ways so definitely hard to, to step away uh, from there and, and come back to the states um, but yeah heart's always kind of been there, and you know my goal is one day to hopefully return.
0: So I have this meme that popped in my head and it's dog, the Bounty hunter and his family. Oh
2: and yeah. He, oh.
0: And you kind of bolted up to the side. So I'm going to, I'll work on that tonight and send you a copy of it.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, no. Yeah. The dog. Um, You want to talk about some family dynamics and relationships. There's a interesting <laughs> family to speak into, but Hey, they're, they're definitely a tough nosed family, Um, but they are very close and yeah. they took care of each other.
0: Well, you know, we we had Corey on. I don't know if you know this. We had Corey on last week, and uh, we talked to her a lot about the culture uh, at PSR. And I've been really fortunate to get to see the culture evolve. You know, uh, in my dealings with PSR, which is going on nine years, I can't believe it. But so when I when I started uh, uh, visiting you guys up there in Seattle to what is now what I saw, what, three, four weeks ago when I was over to see you. Neil ran a great company, you know, but it's a different culture now than it was when Neil was there. And and I think that's the signature of leadership is that you're able to instill um, your your core values and your core beliefs and get people to follow along with your thought process and embrace it. And I, I've seen that whole shift, you know, um, from what it looked like when he was uh at the helm to, to what it looked like with you at the helm. And that started when you were in the field, you know, I'm sure. Um, and you building those relationships, which you do so well, um, by the way. I'm I'm proud to to get to watch you do that. And just well, I, I mean, you know, I don't I'm not gonna bullshit you. You you run a good good deal. I, I can see the, the level of genuality and the degree of rapport you have with your folks and what they say about you when you're not around, you know, is much more important than what they say to you when you're around. And um, you know, I, I think that that really fosters from way back when when you said uh that you started as a driver. And you guys have done a, you know, I, I think it's just a yeoman's task of bringing that culture where you have apprentices and pre apprentices coming into your program and you learn the company from the ground up. You know, all the customers, you know, the deliveries, you know, the buildings, all that hoopla that a first year apprentice uh, has to learn while he's learning how to do or she's learning how to do air conditioning, they've already got that heads head start because they've been doing the parts driving for a year or six months or whatever the tenure is. Sure. I just think it works well because you're not having to learn everything new at once. And you know you only have to learn something new one time. Uh, so if you can stage that and kind of progress through that first year without overload them. Uh, I think it's a good process and you guys have proven that because so many of your journeymen came through that way, um, uh, through sure. your traditional route. So what, what's your, um, man, I think I know, but I'd love to hear you articulate your vision of how that, that start day one interview all the way through that journeyman after, the driver after the apprenticeship. How does that look in your mind? How do you see that unfold?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I would say that um, what you kind of spoke into there um, is definitely true. Before I dive into the aspects of how we kind of go about doing that, whenever we do bring a tradesperson in, whether we bring them in as a tradesman, an apprentice, or a, you know a, a mid-level tech, and to even that fact of a of a journeyman. Um, when you're able to build upon uh, stepping stones or stepping blocks um, goes a long way. because uh, to your point, you bring in a first year apprentice that has all the capabilities to do some fairly decent high level work. And if they're new, never been into your company, you know, not only trying to learn your company's uh, processes, procedures, they're trying to learn where the vendors are located that are particular to your company. They're trying to learn the new buildings themselves. Who's in charge of those buildings? Um, who's you know who's managing them? And it can be a lot to take on as a technician because the the trade itself uh, requires a very focused uh, mindset, and it can be stressful. And uh, so for us, uh, do we do do that? Yeah, we do. Um, we've been forced to kind of hire people um, to some level with uh, people retiring out and whatnot. Um, that are, you know, first, second year or mid-level techs that um, haven't been a PSR, but we're very mindful of that. And um, we'll actually take an apprentice or a tradesman and actually put them in our warehouse uh, minimum for a week or so. Um, We'll put them uh, in a parse driving role for a week or so just to get some level of experience of just some inner workings of how the company works. So for me, if we can kind of reverse that and kind of go to the role of how we develop people within our service department and projects department. It is very much we hire people for in, a, in a parse driving warehouse role, and those people kind of do both. Um, we have typically at any one given time, two to three people that uh, have warehouse and parse driving responsibilities. And I would say even from the interview process, uh, still today, um, there's not a, a parse driver that's hired within our company or technician that i'm not involved with um do i get down to the nitty-gritty part of the interview um no but i always go out of my way if uh greg our operations manager and a couple of our field supervisors are are interviewing someone that i go out of my way to on a minimum greet the person in the lobby shake their hand say hi thank them for coming in and uh being able to interview us even if we're not going to hire them. right i just want to thank them for their time um, but most of the time If I get a few minutes, I'll sit down for five minutes, do a brief introduction to the company myself and and give them a real quick reflection of, hey, I started where you were at, you know, 27 years ago. Right. And um, and I think it can't that can leave oppression in and of itself as, hey, just because I'm coming in here as a price driver. man, really, this guy's one that's really about, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? But yeah, when they start for us, um, they learn the inner workings of kind of the day to day. Um, flow workflow for us. Um, How does a car driving and warehouse support our field staff for doing maintenance and repairs? Um, How do we move those parts and pieces around to get them to them and and whatnot? Um, There's also a level of communication through our um, dispatchers of uh, trying to support the guys in the field. And, um, but when they become a tradesman, and for us, a a tradesman is basically a pre-apprenticed person. They're applying for the apprenticeship, but they're out in the field and they're doing uh, low level mechanical work changing filters belts and whatnot but uh when they get out there and, and start going to some of these buildings or having to go to some of our vendors they have a fair amount of exposure already with their parse driving stuff they're going to different vendor locations or going to different job sites or uh customer locations so there's things that um, they don't even have to think about when they start becoming a tradesman you know they've probably been on a roof or in a mechanical room running a part of to journeyman, And then having that aspect alone where, Hey, they don't have to think about the, the location that they're going to. Um, they're not worried about who they check in at the front desk. They're not worried about where's the key to get into the mechanical room. Now they just need to focus on, on the uh, job and that they need to be doing.
0: Dave year, years ago, um, when I had my company, we we did a similar thing in that we had an in-house filter changing program so that our first year, You know, six month people uh, went through our filter change program. And with that, they got to visit, excuse me, all the job sites. They knew how to get in, where the equipment was, who to talk to. And it's very similar to what you're describing. They weren't running parts so much as they were running filters and changing them. But same concept, you know, they, they got familiar with how our company worked and they got familiar with where the work's getting done. And to your point, when when it's go time, they don't have to worry about, okay, where is that piece of equipment? Because they know it's above the kitchen on the third floor or whatever. All the job related nuances were just baked in already so they could concentrate on really what they're doing.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. um, Yeah. So, yeah, our pre-apprentice people, um, I'd say from how they transition to being an apprentice. Well, um, you know, again, filter changing, cleaning coils, um, those type of tasks they're gaining more knowledge than what they really know. Um, They're learning more about the equipment, how to shut it down to whatever regards. But when they do start transitioning into being an apprentice um, and starting to make uh, higher level repairs or troubleshooting, again, they're already more familiar with that piece of equipment. It's just stepping stones, right? They already know where the the unit's at, what area of the building it's serving, um, already know how to shut it down. So now their task of showing up and doing that higher level, it's like, hey, now it's just opening up the control panel and, and applying the task at hand that they're learning to actually troubleshoot it. So yeah, I would say very early on uh, when we're hiring people, we kind of proactively just kind of talk about what does that path look like to journeyman um, at our shop? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's it's uh, we try to be mindful of it, try to set that pathway for them. And um, so there's no uncertainties of kind of, hey, how do I really get there? And right now, currently about two thirds of all the mechanics in our company have gone through, um, that level of uh, training.
0: I I just find that that that's a cool number. I don't know how many other of the service logic companies have that, that program. Uh, I'm sure there are some, but I just, I just love it. I mean, I, I think it's such a cool way to get people, uh, indoctrinated into the program. Uh, Because people don't realize, it's kind of like, all right, so Gabby just started doing this role she's currently doing not too long ago. And even though she knew what buttons to press and and all that stuff that you go through uh, to put on a podcast production, you're still doing it for the first time at some point. So the more you know on the front end, the less you know, volatile. I guess, for lack of a better word, that day, that first day, has to be. And now, you know, here she is, a, a, a pro, and <laughs> she's got people behind her doing something that I have no idea what they were doing back there, but it looked really fun. And she never, she never missed a beat. So I think just having that exposure and before you dive in, probably for any any job would just be good. But I, I've I've definitely seen it pay off for you. So.
2: Yeah, so one thing I'd say that there's also a level of accountability that we do. Mm-hmm. So when we hire a driver, you know, basically, not only does he have a direct oversight, you know, from um, the operations or service manager, um, right, while he's uh, there, but we have our tradesmen train the parse driver. Mm-hmm. So our tradesmen, again, are former parse drivers and warehouse people. And uh, we, so we allow that level of cross training. Um, same thing from uh, a tradesman when they become an apprentice, Well we have that apprentice trade tra- that train that new tradesman. And you know all the way through, you know a first year uh, apprentice will, will do the tradesman training, um, but a second year apprentice will train the first year apprentice. The third year apprentice will train the second all the way through. And what I tell everybody is, hey, um, your level of accountability is to that person that you're training. And if there's something that after you've trained them, that's not quite working out, right? You've trained them, but maybe there's a challenge that you that you see from afar. Instead of going to your boss, you know, uh, a supervisor or whatnot, it's your level of responsibility. Being that you trained them to have that conversation with that person, and and through that, building a relationship and a relationship of trust. And um, so again, uh, we kind of um, empower our people that we need to kind of self manage and um, self train uh within themselves it's not just a, a shop the shop's responsibility a supervisor a service manager's responsibility uh and accountability it's like hey if a tradesman is going to the warehouse where the filters are supposed to be at and the, the um filter delivery spot is a, a array and it hasn't been cleaned out from the the parse driver you know because they bounce in and out and take stuff then hey we say hey you need to have a tough conversation with that person and do it in a respectful manner and just say, hey, I'm here to help you. These are things that I'm seeing. I know what it means to to do your job and, and be successful in it. And before a journeyman has something to say to you, you know, I'm here as your friend, right? I, I trained you and I, I'm, I'm seeing a couple of things that, um, you know, just constructive feedback, right? If you can tune up these things, man, it's gonna make your life um, a heck of a lot easier. So I, th- I think that's important that um, within the culture of a company is, Uh, out the gate, those are things that we talk to very early on. And, and I, you know, as a president, I'm walking through the warehouse and, and if I see a new driver, I'm talking to the tradesman who's training them that week or the next couple of weeks, I'm like, Hey, he's your responsibility, bud. Right. And, um, so it's not only that we talk about it in the very beginning, but it's actually along the way, I'm reiterating and emphasizing that level of um, kind of ownership um, to each other.
0: Well two things that I'm huge on whether it's work related or family or whatever is compound knowledge and tribal knowledge because those two things can make life so much better for the learner and the teacher. Um, Compound knowledge in, in that you know you you take what you're taught and you take what you learn and you expand on it. You don't just put it in there and leave it sit, you know, like a, like a crock pot, you know, you got to do something with it. And then the tribal knowledge, um, it, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's how, it's how P, uh, PSR works. It's how this building works. It's how, you know, stay away from David after he eats Chinese food on Thursday, whatever. It's just what people know. And if you're able to take that tribal knowledge and compound that throughout the organization, the organization is just smarter overall, you know, and in this world of, of, you know, worrying about stepping on people's toes and offending everybody, smart companies are good because the more, you know, and the more our people know collectively, our people, whoever that is for you, the better we all are because we can serve at a higher level. So I I love that. The, uh, the compounding of tribal knowledge is just really cool. Um, You, you, you touched on something that sparked my, my interest a while ago, Dave, you're talking about that in Hawaii, uh, and you said, come back to the states, which I thought was funny. Um,
2: a, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's a good one. So yeah that, uh, yeah, I would say um, I knew
0: what you meant. Come back yeah, to the. No,
2: main. it is. It's kind of a local thing um, uh, that came up in in recruit class. they're like, what do you mean? We're part of the states, right? <laughs>
0: No, I I totally get it. Um, You know, (laughs) I was in Puerto Rico one time and felt the same way. Like, no, it's part of our deal. So, but you mentioned the the word, uh, and I don't remember what the word was. It means family. What what is that word again? Oh, ohana, ohana. Yeah, and I, I think that you know what what you do is instill that value in your company. I see that for sure. And about. I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I was in California and I brought all five of our uh, California based companies together, uh, they're the safety people for those companies. And we were just talking because California has unique everything, but in particular, my trip was they have unique safety uh, procedures that need to be adhered to. And, you know, some of our companies over there are new and i would not met the people. And it's important for me to know who. I'm talking to, you know, because if if there's a need and I need to call somebody in San Diego, it's just better if I know that person. So you you just erase that. Well, who who the hell is this guy calling me or whatever? So it was just a chance for everybody to get together and talk a little bit. And we, they didn't have any hotel rooms. It was pretty funny, or a meeting space at the hotel. And there was only uh, seven of us. So I just got a a suite where, you know, it had like a sitting area uh, as my room. So we just met up there. And uh, I'd gone down to make sure that uh, whatever uh, with the lobby. And I was coming back up and there was a young guy in the elevator, Latino young man. And on the side of his hat, I thought it was really cool, uh, was embroidered. It said, uh, We stand on the shoulders of our elders. And I thought, man, what a cool thing for, I mean, this guy was probably in his twenties, you know, he's probably Gabby's age and to be mindful enough to where that was something that he was comfortable wearing uh, in public and obviously felt strongly about it that I just thought that was really neat. And, and, you know, so it's little nuances you see with people that kind of, But for me, you know, because I'm like a weirdo magnet, you know, I'm attracted to anything not normal or not typical, uh, which is why you're on the show, Dave. Sorry, but um, I appreciate that. (laughs) um, I just thought it was really cool to see those words embroidered into his hat on the side of his hat. So
2: that's pretty cool for uh, for um, for the generation coming up to, uh, yeah, kind of have that self-recognition and understanding uh, of that. yeah, I wouldn't say that's commonplace. and no, it's something that, uh, you know, how do you go about instilling that in today's culture um, yeah. to be a little bit more broad? And uh, through the, the younger generation starting to come up, um, man, that's, I mean, that can almost be a, you know, a company motto to some level that you incorporate yeah. into your company ethos. So um, I think that's pretty cool.
0: And this guy was working in the housekeeping department. It wasn't like he was strutting through there, you know, wearing Gucci loafers. Um, sure. He was working, and I just thought, man, that's really cool to see that.
2: Well, I think if they can comprehend that, I'd say, man, that they're setting themselves on a pathway for success. You know, yeah. um, I'd say, you know, in today's market, when it comes to hiring young people, um, I'd say it has been a challenge in years past of um, to some level of uh, understanding that uh, day-to-day, just kind of work work ethic and kind of the, you know, um, sense of urgency. And um, people that, uh, you know, I think have a work with a sense of um, urgency, kind of self, kind of have an eagerness to succeed. And but where is that being, where is that groundwork being laid from, right? And I think it's from, you know, whether you want to call it the Gen Xers or Baby Boomers, it's um, if they can realize kind of the foundation of, you know, what their grandparents did and and what their parents did. Um, that's, you know, at times is what's kind of lacking today. It's, um, you know, I would say for me going back probably 10 or 15 years ago, I could hire people, um, that were probably between 20 and 25 and, uh, they, they could show up and be pretty solid with kind of the day-to-day attitude, you know, positive attitude mindset and, uh, and just a, a good work ethic, you know, and people that were driven to be successful and we gave them a pathway to do so, but, To be quite honest with you, that's getting more and more challenging. um, To to be realistic of what we what I'm seeing, it's a lot of the lot of that same thing. It's uh, people between twenty five and thirty, to some level, that are kind of showing up and and finally having yeah, just kind of yeah. Between that age group, it's just it's it's different. So it's there for whatever reason, I'd say. Yeah, somewhere between twenty-five to thirty, through life challenges, struggles, uh, maybe other jobs that just quite didn't work out. You know, unfortunately, we we only lose learn from a lot of times from our fail- failures, not necessarily our successes. And um, and through them, kind of getting out in the world and and you know getting their hands to work one way or another. Yeah, it just seems like it's you know the, that age. Time periods a little bit older than what it once, once was, you know.
1: I
0: think that that, Dave, is, is true. A, from, from not just your, your perspective, because you live it, but I see it and hear it, you know, from other people in other geographic areas. But I think that that's going to be the norm because of the number of folks who uh, go to college, they get their four years, and then they realize that they're a barista even though they have a degree and that they're really, really smart, Mm -hmm. there's just a lack of opportunity for some of those folks to get into a career that they want to be in a, and that they can make a good wage. I mean, that's why people, people don't go to school for the hell of it. They go to school where they can make more money. And if, if, you know, (laughs) if you're 28 years old and you've done your time in school and you've earned your degree and whatever, and you're finding it's not valuable from a, from a hiring standpoint, I think college is great for people to get life experience. I really sure. do. But on the other hand, it has got to be beneficial when you come out. And I think there's a lot of people that are finding out that there's just not a great market for a lot of these degrees. So, um, You know, what you're seeing, I think, may be part of the new norm, which is that generation uh, uh, or or, excuse me, that generational shift of when people are coming into the realization. Uh, You know, a lot of kids are kind of like me. There was no way in hell I could get into college, much less want to go to college. Uh, And and those are kind of, you know. Interchangeable. I couldn't get in because I didn't want to go and I didn't want to go because I couldn't get in. So people like me uh were on an early career path. You're you're gonna still have those people come to you. But I think there's going to be uh, a, a growing number um of what you described that have been out there and, and got their, you know, got a little scar tissue on the soul from going through life and you know, for six Five eight years and going holy crap man I got to get yeah. something that's a little more secure or a little more rewarding and, and a little more financially rewarding as, as well as you know having something to be proud of
2: yeah we have several appren- um, apprentices or tradespeople coming in right now that have four-year degrees yeah and um you know some of it was um they realized they didn't want to, even though they went to school for, for business, a couple of them was even uh yeah, a, a business degree. Uh, one of them has, one of them has a project management degree. One of them went to school for engineering, but they, at the end of the day, they didn't like being behind the desk and they didn't really know that. Right. And once they, once they got that day-to-day experience of what that looked like, they're like, Ooh, this isn't the right fit for me. And actually, um, two of the guys are actually former Kids of uh, dreaming that to work for us
0: and hey, that's freaking great because not only are you getting a more mature applicant, you're getting somebody that's smart you know it's not Ooh. like you go through college and get a degree by being a complete d a you know there's some uh cognitive level of good up there, or you wouldn't be there
2: you take you take a, a young guy who yeah, did step out, go to college, uh, has a business degree, right? And says, ooh, yeah, I get it. But for right now, for his energy level, his, you know, his day-to-day, what motivates or drives him um, and comes into the trades. I don't care if you're coming in as a plumber, fitter, electrician, HVAC guy, and understands the trades and gets a, a four-year, five-year apprenticeship underneath his belt, um, understands what it. What it um, the day-to-day workings of what it takes to how does a company operate? Man, those people um, after being a journeyman for a year or two, man, to be the, your own entrepreneur to step out and start your own company because Absolutely. now they they have the skill set of of the the backside of what it takes financially to make a, a company work, but then they also have the hands-on. Um, at, um, knowledge of, of what it does as well. so I see people like that um, having a huge advantage if they're ever driven to the point of yeah I, I want to be my own man and I want to start a company up because um, uh, I you know I know a handful of people that have been the opposite side they' you know they've had the trade knowledge don't quite understand all the inner workings of the financial side. And I man, I take my hat off to those guys who still stepped out, didn't understand quite all of the stuff on the on the business side. But again, still plugged forward. Granted, did they have a little bit harder road to navigate, some bumps and bruises along the way? Yeah, but man, you want to talk about resilience. But to, you know, but again, regardless of who that person is, if you want to step out on your own, run your own company someday, especially if you have a college background. Um, once you learn the mechanical trade uh, for whatever it is that you want of you know, your choosing. And those people are really poised to kind of step out on their own and and I think be successful in business.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, we're we're coming up on the top of the hour, and I know I got to be cognizant of time because I bet everybody has something else to do at the top of the hour, uh, including this guy. But um, one one thing, Dave, that I, I really uh, I learned about this uh, in my California travel, we have a lady that works for us uh, in L.A. in Orange County named Jennifer Graham. And she went through a uh, four year electrical engineering, got her degree, smart, smart lady, came out of the uh, came out of college and went to work for Schneider Electric in the field as a service tech. And sure. uh, you know, I really applauded her effort in that because, uh, you know, she felt like if she was going to design uh, and program, automation systems. she needed to be able to understand what the technician was going to have to do in the field in order to make that happen. Uh, So I I got a a cool video. I'll shoot you a copy of it, but we'll publish that video pretty pretty quickly of uh, Jennifer talking about her career and how she has gone. And uh, today's her first day of maternity leave. So she's about to have a little baby girl um so she started i thought it was ironic she started maternity leave on valentine's day so that's pretty cool (laughs) there you uh, go yeah i I think there's just a lot more and and uh of good people and and you know this as well as i do they're out there we just have to look for them and and you know bring them into the into the circle you know welcome them grab them by the hand and drag them in and uh show them what we're all about is is not a company, but it's just good people taking care of our industry going forward. So.
2: yeah, some of it some of it, the just the younger generation didn't have the opportunities as you and I did growing up. Um yeah. just with uh, more of a rural environment, I guess, you know, um changing your own ba- uh tire you know, when it went flat on your bicycle, you know, basic things like that to some level. Um there's just things that uh you know we didn't have the video game growing up and some of our activities lent to the things that we played with that were more mechanical and if they broke, um, your dad was like, well, figure out how to fix it. So, but those, that, that part of people is still there. It's just at what point do they get the opportunity to be able to apply that mechanical uh, aspect of what's kind of they're They're even unaware of to a certain degree. So, but yeah, no, I definitely appreciate your time today. And, you know, I I just want to end on this note for people um, out there is um, you know, whether it's your work environment, your community, you know, uh, the company you work for you know measure people by the magnitude of their heart that, that's what i would say so um that's the biggest thing i look at and if you got good-hearted people man i think you can build whatever it is that you you want to do whether it's uh, uh just a, a community of friendships a community of people you want to work with um and kind of be like-minded
0: Again on Valentine's Day, he drops that heart on us. So wow. <laughs> well, David, I, I know for a fact with, with you as a, a, a friend of mine as well as a co-worker, your heart is solid gold, baby. Um, I love what you do, I love what you're all about, and I really do appreciate you taking time. Um, tell Carrie I appreciate her letting you take time this morning because she's probably standing back there with a <laughs> old oatmeal just waiting for you so there
2: you go
0: there you go so gabby here we are we're wrapped up again another great episode in the books and uh just a a, such a neat guy such a cool friend and um, i don't know i I looked at the clock and we're at the top of the hour and i'm like holy crap how does this happen every time but it, it does uh more often than not so why don't you put a bow on this thing and take us to the barn
1: Well, today's episode has been a great one. Time really flies when we have these conversations, Greg. It doesn't matter who it's with. We always end up having such a great conversation. David, it was great meeting you and speaking with you. Greg, it's a pleasure as always. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton and make sure to go subscribe to where you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all your Greg Crumpton content.